Welcome to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Joining us today are three members of the Prigogine Center for Statistical Mechanics. Dr. Tommy Petrosky, Senior Research Scientist, Dr. Dean Dreeby, Research Associate, and Dr. Isla Prigogine, Director and 1977 Nobel Prize winner in Chemistry. They discuss physics and the characteristics of time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and don't forget to subscribe to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Ben, I appreciate the opportunity to present the ideas of our groups in Brussels and in Austin to a wider audience. It's interesting to inquire what are the problems which interest physicists at the end of the century. There is, of course, the problem of the theory of everything, high energy, what is an elementary particle, a string, was the universe created with many dimensions and going now to four dimensions. Those are very important problems, but also very specialized. There's a cosmology, and it has this uh, field which is blooming, and we are, of course, interested in historical perspectives, therefore we are interested in the beginning of the universe, which again comes close to the problem of high energy. But what I find interesting is that there are still important problems at low energy. You can say we can apply them later to high energy, but anyway, at low energy, which are still open. And the problem which I find perhaps the most fascinating for the reasons which I shall indicate immediately is the prob- problem of time. Is there an arrow of time? The problem of determinism. The problem, in a sense, is the future given or is the word a word of con- in construction? This problem, of course, has fascinated uh, uh, philosophers, artists, uh, scientists since, I would say, 2,500 years, because there was already the, contra- the controversy between Heraclite, who was speaking about becoming, and Parmenide, who speak about, spoke about being. And uh, this problem seemed to have been solved in the field of physics by Newton. By Newton, because he established very general law in classical physics, and these laws are time-reversible, in other words, there's no arrow of time, no privileged direction, and are deterministic. If you know the initial conditions, then you would know how the system will develop in the future and how it was in the past. Now, this is, of course, something like a paradox, because we have the impression that we can do something new, and when you look on nature, it's very difficult to imagine that the 12,000 ant species which exist today have been part of the program at, at, the, at the Wing Bang. And also it's very difficult that the statue of Dai David or by Michelangelo was uh, already present, in the project was already present at the beginning. So this led what we, we may call a war of cultures. Of course, the very fact that the classical physics implied negated the arrow of time, is known since about 120 years, since the basic work of Boltzmann. And curiously, the great new systems of the 20th century, quantum physics and relativity, have not changed the position that basic physics is time-reversible 
and deterministic. Therefore, the question is in a sense, or, or still open in some sense. And as I mentioned, that leads to a, a war of cultures because for the philosophers, it was unacceptable that there would be no arrow of time because time is our main existential, uh, main existential dimension. And if you negate the arrow of time, you negate learning because learning is something which changes with time. You are first ignorant and then you learn. Therefore, the learning and doing science, a history of science is certainly an oriented process. Therefore, I was always asking, what is the type of science which in some sense negates its very existence? Because if there would be no hour of time, there would be no oriented history of science. And also it's difficult to imagine an oriented biology, time-oriented biology, time-oriented geology, time-oriented cosmology, in a, in a universe in which everything would be time-reversible. We really is, is, uh, are believing that at some point biological evolution will go in the, in the opposite direction and dinosaurs will again crawl on, on the world. That's very difficult to believe. Now, why can we reconsider this problem? Why can we revisit classical and quantum mechanics? I think for two reasons. <coughs> One is that we have now a large field of non-equilibrium physics, where we see irreversible processes. And we see rather complicated irreversible processes. We see that far from equilibrium, new structures can appear, which I call dissipative structure in my time, where no new space-time structures arise when the system is far from equilibrium and has reinforcing mechanisms. And then you have bifurcations, which lead to new structures of time and space, like oscillating chemical reactions, space structures, non-equilibrium space structures, chaos, and so on and so on. So the experimental investigation of non-equilibrium is one of the very important features which is today, I think, changing our ideas of time. The other point which we have to consider is that, that we have made great progress in the classification of dynamical systems. The classical idea was that all dynamical systems are alike. They are all essentially the same. Of course, everybody knew that to calculate a three-body problem is more complicated than a two-body problem, but essentially it is the same problem. You have to integrate the equations of Newton. But since the end of the 19th century, and since the work, fundamental work of Poincaré, this is no more true. We know that there are classification of dynamical systems. There are integrable dynamical systems where you can write the solution by perturbation calculation, and there are non-integrable ones. And therefore the question is, isn't it not possible that irreversibly appears in some type of dynamical system, that even in classical mechanics there are more than one answer, in one, more than one formulation, and that there are formulations that in Newton's equation will certainly be true for simple systems, but for more complicated systems, there's perhaps a different formulation of classical mechanics. 
And similarly, there may be a different formulation of quantum mechanics. That is a point to which I shall come back again and again. And let me finish this introductory remark by saying, anyway, we have to understand that the arrow of time is uh, unsolved problems. Because many people uh, go around and say it has been solved by Boltzmann. Entropy increasing is increasing of probability. You would have two boxes that you put more particles in one than the other, and uh, they will equalize the occupation number. That is very nice, but this applies to a very special case. Uh, in fact, I can hopefully say that Boltzmann elucidated partly the case of very dilute systems. But when you go to a higher concentration, for example, the problem is so difficult that it's still a controversial problem today. And the idea that en entropy would be simply lack of information is, of course, completely wrong. Entropy in thermodynamics involves very special laws. For example, that the energy of a system which is large is proportional to its volume that they are extensive and intensive variables. And that plays an important role in the characterization. And that is for this reason, the, the gravitation escapes from thermodynamics, because the long-range forces make that the interactions go grow like n square. And therefore, there is no the gravitational thermodynamics in the same sense as there is the thermodynamics of short-range forces. Therefore, and let me also emphasize that thermodynamics is far from giving trivial results. There, as I said, extensive variables, intensive variables. There is the phase transitions with the discontinuities and the fluctuations. Therefore, it's highly non-trivial. And therefore, it is very difficult to believe that we have uh, simply ignorance. On the contrary, and this is especially true because now we believe that in that in, in uh, general, the evolution of a, a distribution function is a highly complex non-Markovian process in which there is a memory. Now let me finish by, by one remark, that classical and quantum mechanics can be formulated both on the level of individual trajectories and both on the level of ensembles, statistics, population. You know that Darwin's theory was on populations, and Boltzmann's theory was on populations. Therefore, the question can only be said that we have to compare the physics of population to the physics of individuals. It's a little like in social sciences. There is a population problem and the individual problem. And nobody can contest that the, the population gives other results than individuals. It gives more information. But it has always been considered that in physics, the population approach, which was introduced by the great uh, Williard Gibbs, uh, you see, will give the same result that if you know the evolution of a population, you know how to calculate the trajectory, and trajectory, or you can, from the trajectory, you can calculate the population. And essentially, what we have shown, and we shall go now to this, is that in some situations, this is no more true that there is, for some situations, a basic probabilistic irreversible description, but on the level of populations, and which cannot be reduced to the level of trajectories or of wave functions. So in a sense, this is a new physics. And of course, with time going on, we shall see 
if this will slowly transform physics, as I hope, but I'm not in a hurry. I've been busy with this problem since many years, and I hope it will continue to be investigated. Now, what are the systems where we expect these new results? And the simplest system is so-called deterministic chaos. And my colleague Dean Dreep has written the first book on the relation between deterministic chaos and time symmetry breaking, the arrow of time. So I think it is better that I ask him to give his opinion about it. Well, as Professor Prigogin mentioned, it's uh, deterministic chaos is the simplest class of systems where we can see these ideas realized. And many people, I think, are familiar with chaos because it's been very popular in the last 20 years or so. And I think it's been a very popular and attractive subject because in a chaotic dynamical system, one can see that a very simple dynamics can lead to a very complex type of behavior. And that's something that many people are familiar with and many popular books talk about. And that's a very important aspect of chaotic dynamics, and I think it's made it very attractive to people in other fields as well, because other people see complex behavior in all kinds of things. It's very common in our environment. And the question that a scientist always asks is, is, is what is behind such type of phenomena that we see? Is there some simple explanation behind it? So that aspect has been very much emphasized. But there's another aspect that's even more important for us, and that's the the point that Professor Prigogine mentioned, because um, chaos allows us to see in very simple systems the limitations of the trajectory description. Just let me explain a little bit more about that. The, the rule for a dynamical system, that's just some general evolution law, like for a system obeying Hamiltonian mechanics, in, in which, which is a classical mechanics, um, the rule for a dynamical system tells us how an initial point evolves in time. And this point description is an idealization that certainly is valid for regular dynamics. For instance, a very simple oscillating system for planetary motion. And um, <clears throat> a, for instance, in a simple oscillating system like a pendulum with small, with small oscillations, if we consider two similar initial conditions, the behavior is, is quite similar. If we start the, the pendulum off with a little bit higher amplitude, it will just swing with a little bit higher amplitude. But this is not the case at all for chaotic systems. And there are a couple reasons for this. One reason is one aspect which is well known, the sensitivity to initial conditions. That is, if we start in a chaotic system with the two initial trajectories close by, the, the, initial the time evolution will make those initial points spread exponentially in time. But there's another aspect to the problem, and that is that in a chaotic system, you have a microstructure in the phase space. That the phase space is the space of the dynamical variables. And this microstructure means that for two initial points, no matter how similar, you can have even qualitatively very different behavior of two initial trajectories. So this leads naturally to this description in terms of populations, to a description in terms of ensembles. Because unless we knew exactly what the initial condition was... Which is impossible. Of course. And so we, can't, we, we don't know what is the ideal trajectory that some initial condition that we may observe corresponds to, because the ideal trajectory will have a very different behavior. We can't make a reduction like we can in a, in a regular system. So this statistical description, instead of considering the time evolution of points, we consider a time evolution of a collection of trajectories on, or an ensemble. And on this level, the time evolution is determined by an operator, like in quantum mechanics, where we have to replace things by operators. And <clears throat> 
so now we, we study this operator and we have to study the mathematics of this operator. And for a simple system with the regular dynamics, the solution of these operator equations really doesn't lead to anything new because they can be reduced back down to the, to the trajectory level. But when we have a chaotic dynamics, even in a very simple situations, we have new solutions that are irreducible to the trajectory description. And these new solutions give us very naturally the physical aspects of the problem. Very naturally, we can understand the time-dependent aspects of the problem, the approach to some equilibrium, some development in time. And so we, there are two ways of describe to the evolution of a deterministic chaos. Right. One is a traditional description, and one is a new description in, term of, in terms of population. Now, the point description is, of course, an idealization, because you can never start with a point. We have to start with a region. And to this applies the probabilistic description. Right. And when we apply that probabilistic description to a chaotic system, we have new solutions that it's in, involves some generalized functional spaces. And those new solutions in the generalized functional spaces, explicitly, you cannot reduce them to a trajectory. And one new, very important feature that we get there is even if the original equation for the trajectory is time reversible, on this level, of the irreducible probability density, the time symmetry is broken. And what we find is that we have two semigroups. We have some orientation in time. Yes, it's very important that because of the symmetry of the initial equation, you have two semigroups. Right. One, in short, going from the present to the future, and the other going from the present to the past. Now, which semigroup to choose? First of all, the two semigroups are different. And we can distinguish them mathematically. But uh, the question is always asked which semigroup we have to use. That can not be answered by physics, but by observation. In a sense, we have to use the same semigroup which applies to us, because we believe that the hour of time is universal. So we choose a semigroup which goes from the present to the future. That is some, I would say, additional, additional assumption. Right. Or additional uh, element which we have to add. Right. But as you mentioned, from the beginning, we, there, the semigroups are distinct. There's a distinct class of distribution functions that, that approach equilibrium in the future yeah. and a distinct class that approach equilibrium yeah. in the past. And, and, yeah. and it's not due to any kind of coarse graining or any no. kind of approximation that we make. And let me emphasize the importance of this new description, which extends to other type of systems. If you have a probabilistic description, then we have the possibilities of every novelty. To have a new invention, the future is no more given by the past, and of course this would require many, many supplementary uh, work. I mean, it's not so easy to see this because in, in uh, this invention or this the, the, this uh, new structures appear at some particular points called bifurcation points, and it's probably our universe is known the many bifurcation and uh, for example we have a universe in which there are more electrons than positrons there may be other universes in which there are more positrons than electrons anyway the universe has gone through many bifurcation even a famous physicist Turing thinks that at the beginning the universe was very symmetrical and time was symmetrical with, uh, with space and there was a bifurcation which introduced the difference between time and space but whatever this may be, anyway, it's certain that there have been many bifurcations 
And it's a little also the view presented by Jay Gould. He said it's a history of life, it's a history of contingency, not a deterministic history. A history in which there are accidents and which could never be predicted. In other words, our universe is only a sample of possible universe. The possible is richer than the real. The real is only one representation, one example of the possible. And that changes completely our view on, on ourselves, on the, on the universe. Mm. Now, the deterministic chaos is, of course, a very interesting example, but it's not the example which deals with thermodynamics. Thermodynamics leads with large systems. And that is a problem which has been much investigated by my colleague, Professor Tomio Petrovsky, and I think the best is that he explains a little the problem. Yes, <coughs> so I shall now explain about the, what is a sound dynamical system. And some dynamical system is like a gas, liquid, solid. So this contains many, many particles. And another example is like a chemistry all surrounding us. And we deal with this system like a heat conduction, energy transfer, uh, matter transfer. And the very characteristic of the thermodynamical system is that the interaction is always persistent. Uh, this is, uh, for example, when we consider about the air. You see the particle is colliding and colliding, and there is no beginning of the uh, process and uh, no after the collision. It's always in the middle of the interaction. And that is a very different, uh, there is another different class in the physics, like a scattering problem. We only deal with a two-particle collision or three-particle collision. But this start, uh, there is a well-defined concept of the before the collision and after the collision. So these two systems are very different. And the thermodynamical system is a very, very, uh, mathematically, it's a quite interesting problem because we are dealing with, as uh, Professor Prigozhin said, it's a large system. It contains uh, actually the infinity many, many particles. So the mathematics must deal with the infinity seriously. And in this system, there is a special characterization is so-called, uh, also the, already in the introduction Professor Prigozhi mentioned, the extensive variable, extensivity, and intensivity. And extensive means that the, we deal with, the, say, the total number of the particle goes to infinity, or total energy proportional to the size of the particle, uh, the system. That is, again, very different from the usual scattering type of the problem. And then, therefore, your total uh, entity goes to infinity, but with the size of the box so, uh, system, when you divide this quantity by the size, you get some finite quantity. That is a so-called in intensive quantity. Now, so then, uh, Question is the following things that in which kind of the system can uh, be really uh, exist such kind of the extensive quantity and intensive quantity. You see, the, when the, uh, there, there is a short range interaction in the uh, gas, of course, that the total energy is proportional to the number of the particle. That is e easy to show it. As mentioned, that Professor Prigozhin already, that the, in the gravitational force, that the interaction is a long range. And therefore, even in a two-body collision uh, interaction, always um, uh, there is a 
every particle will influence as a result of the total energy going to the uh, n square that the uh, n is a number of the particle in that case you cannot define any kind of the intensity variable now so this sense the intensity variables are like pressure temperature yes. chemical potential yes, yes. extensive variables are like energy you see like entropy and so on yes yes now, so therefore we now, uh, in, there is a certainly in our world, there is a very interesting system which uh, defines the extensive and the intensive variables. That is a thermodynamical system. Now, in this case that we have to, really, as I mentioned, deal with a quantity which is going to the infinity. And on the other hand, that the, in the, uh, when we discuss about the physical problem, traditionally, we consider not going to the infinity like a scattering problem. That case, you are considering that the object is locally existing, a short range distance. That case, that you don't find any kind of the uh, infinity in the integration. And that kind of the system uh, just usually characterized mathematically by so-called Hilbert space. That is a space of mm. not of simple functions. Yes, very simple. Have a length, like yeah. it's very similar to a vector space. Yes. You can define a length and a scalar product. Yeah. By the, yes, yes, no, yes. But the, there is a very important theorem which was the, proved by uh, Koopman that if the, uh, your uh, object, in a mathematical object, is in a Hilbert space, inside the Hilbert space, that the trajectory description and the population distribution is equivalent. But as I already mentioned, that the thermodynamical system, we are now dealing with infinity. So then, then this case, that your object is not in the Hilbert space. That is a very unexpected result. Yes. That is a result mainly due to Tomio. Mm. And that is really one of the great surprises of my life. Mm. Because finally, the, all our theory has now a very simple mathematical meaning. Because we have to go outside the Hilbert space and dealing with generalized functions. And in a sense, we come to the ideas which are developed in a different way by Mandelbrot and others. We deal with distributions. With, sing with singular functions, with singular functions. And that is really a trend which is observed in many fields, that we go outside the narrow field of regular functions to a more general generalized functions. Yes. And in thanks to this kind of the generalization of the space with the infinite uh, object, now that the time evolution can break the time symmetry without any approximation that we have already shown. And uh, in this kind of the system, like a thermodynamical system, we already uh, developed a lot of the application, like a kinetic theory of the dense gas, or like a scattering problem, but in a finite time scale, uh, Lorentz gas. Or another interesting thing is like a measurement, because the measurement are dealing with the some uh, system but surrounding by the device. Device has a infinite many, many degrees of freedom. In that case, though, also we have a very successful uh, result to, to show how, for example, the collapse of the wave function are uh, compatible with uh, 
rigorous dynamic tariff system. Well, thank you very much. You see, our work is a work of reconciliation. It's a work to bring together fields which were sharply divided. Classical, classical physics, there was this contradiction between classical dynamics, time reversible, and thermodynamics, breaking time symmetry. And now what we show that came, that this came from the consideration of two simple systems. When we consider thermodynamic limit, going to n infinity, volume infinity, concentration being finite, and we go first to an infinite volume and then to infinite time, then we obtain a dynamical formulation which breaks time symmetry. And therefore, in, from the classical point of view, we essentially reconcile dynamics and thermodynamics. Now, this extends to quantum mechanics and to kinetic theory. And to finish our small discussion, let me explain, say to you, that quantum mechanics, in spite of all its successes, is considered by many people, and I'm between them, as an incomplete science. In a book by Penrose, he says there are mysteries which he calls Z and mysteries which he calls X. Z like puzzles and X like paradoxes. And in a sense, what, is, what are the difficulties? Well, the difficulty is that quantum mechanics needs a dual description. On one side, you have deterministic evolution of the wave function. On the other hand, you have irreversibility during the measurement process. So the problem of time symmetry breaking is more um, important in quantum theory than in classical theory, because you can never speak about thermodynamics. Irreversibility. But in quantum mechanics, you're obliged to speak about irreversibility. Now, quantum mechanics is not describing what happens to, during the measurement and what means irreversibility. In fact, in quantum mechanics, there are no events. And now we observe events. We observe the transition between one level and another level. Therefore, there is no doubt that there are events. And there's no doubt that we have approached the equilibrium. For example, the famous black body radiation in the universe is an equilibrium radiation. The solid state is an equilibrium solid state, mostly. You see. And therefore, there are big holes in quantum mechanics. And our theory permits to solve all the holes because in our theory there's no more dual description, but our descriptions outside the Hilbert space it's not dealing with the collapse of the wave function because there's no wave function in the thermodynamic limit. There are, there are events because time symmetry are broken, is broken, and there is approach to equilibrium, which means destruction of invariance of motion. And I would say that the same is true in kinetic theory. Kinetic theory deals with irreversible processes like Boltzmann's equation and so on. But the discussion about this equation has never stopped because he derives irreversibility from time-reversible equations. In a sense, if the universe is time-symmetric, how can you have irreversibility? But what we have sh shown now, that in thermodynamic systems, the universe has a broken time-symmetry. And Boltzmann's equation is simply the expression of this broken time-symmetry. And that was always a mystery because 
Many people said they, for Karese already, the equation of motion are time symmetric. And how do you obtain time dissymmetric equation? Perhaps because you reduce the equation, perhaps you make it uh, approximation. And perhaps it comes from our measurement or from our cause graining. But that is very strange because in all this interpretation, it would be men who would be responsible for the time symmetry breaking. So the men would be responsible for the arrow of time in the universe, for historic, the history of cosmology, the history of biology. But that is nearly megalomania because in a sense, we are the children of evolution. We are not the father of evolution. That is very strange to believe at the moment that we are the father of evolution. So we have now to have a conception of nature in which there is unification, in which, in which time irreversibility comes from the basic laws of physics, not by our approximation, not by our uh, measurement, but it is, it is the basic laws of physics. And that is essentially what we have tried to do. We have tried to have a, a, a classical physics in which there is a reconciliation between dynamics and thermodynamics, a unified formulation of quantum theory in which there are no two types of evolutionary laws and the non-contradictory formulation of irreversible processes as they are now on the basic level of physics. I think I shall finish with this. Of course, there are many aspects like field theory and relativity, which I have not started, but I think this gives you an idea. And I want to say, perhaps to finish, we have to find the right middle way between determinism, which alienates us, which makes us an automaton, and that's very difficult to believe that we are an automaton. And a, a random theory of nature in which God will play dice, and Einstein says that he doesn't like it, and I don't like it neither, because if really the world is a world of playing dice, then there's no place for rationality. But we have now to have a rationality which is in between. It's not deterministic, it is not, it is not a pure chance. And I, I want to say that this gives the idea of a universal construction. And I think that is an optimistic idea, because if the universe is a system in construction, on a human modest level, we can participate to this construction. The David of Michelangelo is a participation to this construction. The music of Mozart is a participation. The work of Einstein is a participation. And I think this gives us a more optimistic view a view in which we are inserted in something which is greater of us. It gives a feeling of something greater of us to which we belong, a feeling of transcendence, and that I think is a beautiful view. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Want more episodes like this? Don't forget to subscribe and get updates each week for the Free to Choose Media Podcast.